Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him. Come unto God, rather, by him. Somebody say amen to the word of God this morning. Today I want to talk to you from the subject, Jesus Praise. Jesus Praise. Let's bow in Father God. Lord, I thank you for this moment in time, this Kairos moment. A moment, Lord, that allows us to peer into the balcony of heaven and see something remarkable and be changed. I'm asking, Lord, that you would show us Jesus Christ. Open up the windows of heaven. Let us peer into the throne room and see what it is that our Savior is doing for us right now. I ask, Lord, that as a revealing of that glory is reflected on us, I pray, Lord, that we would be changed. Changed and moved into a new position with you. I ask you that, Lord, you hide me behind the cross. I need you, Jesus. I need you today. Thank you, God, for you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' precious name, let everyone say, Amen. And Amen. We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the gladness all around. Why? Because Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus is able to save us because of his ability and his availability. He's able because he's the divine healer. He's able because he's the consummate provider. He's able because he's the only begotten son of the living God. He is able to save. He's always able because he loves us more than anything else. He cares for us. He puts us first in his life. The Bible says, wherefore, he is also able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, that come unto God by him. The word uttermost in the Greek means to save completely, totally from the inside out. And it also means to save once and for all time. That means to save now and forevermore. Somebody say hallelujah today. He can save to the uttermost. It means, saints of God, that Jesus, as our high priest, come on, say amen. As our high priest, he's not like 
mindset or the heart to going sin again. Come on, say amen. In other words, Jesus, when he goes before the Father, he has the power to call upon the power of God to say, God, I'm asking you not only to save them from what they've done, but save them from what they might do. And God, I'm asking you to change them so that they don't do what they would do if you don't do what you do. Jesus prayed. Come on, say amen. The Bible tells us that God had a mission. He had a mission to get back in contact with his people. Are you with me today? But sin separated God from us. So he came up with a plan. That plan was to set up a sanctuary. A sanctuary that would reflect the image of the sanctuary of God in heaven. And there is a sanctuary in heaven. I wish I had help in here. And what is a sanctuary? Some of us get confused and get discombobulated. I don't understand. It's too confusing. What is a sanctuary? A sanctuary is a place where you go to talk with God. That's all it is. That's all it is. If you don't understand anything else about the sanctuary system, just understand. It's a place where you go to get in contact with God. And so, faith, this is what he set up. He said, Moses, make sure you make it just like how I show it to you. Hallelujah. And ladies and gentlemen, they came up with this. Uh, God told them about this specific uh, uh, position within the sanctuary, which was the position of the priesthood. The priest would go in and he would bear upon him the sins of all the people. Come on, say amen. He would take them in on the day of atonement, carry them in to the most holy place, bring in with the altar of incense. He would put incense there on the altar so that what he would give a sacrifice to God would be a sweet savor before his nostrils. They could do, ladies and gentlemen, what they needed to do. Because they were just simply human beings. Not to mention, ladies and gentlemen, not only did they have to ask God to forgive them for our sins, but they have to ask God to forgive them for their own sins. Are you with me today? But Jesus prayed directly to the Father. Jesus is able to think from the uttermost to the uppermost. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you pass by and throw it away. God is able to save you from the uttermost to the uttermost. I'm a witness today. God can save anybody. If God can save a wretched soul like me, trust me, He can save you too. Yes, He can. But the problem is, even though Jesus can save everybody, and the reason why, ladies and gentlemen, is because God can't save people who don't want to be saved. And God cannot save people. He what, everybody? He cannot save people. He cannot what, everybody? Save people who make a decision that they don't need to be saved. Proud and prideful and arrogant and erudite people who have the nerve to throw their stuff up in God's face as if he's supposed to accept them for what they've done. You must be out of your mind. God can't save proud people, and he can't save people who refuse to be saved. And the way that most of us refuse God's salvation is, ladies and gentlemen, not because we don't come to church. 
It's not because we don't listen to the preacher. It's not even because we don't read our Bible. But the way that we refuse God's salvation is that we don't pray. You've got to call upon Jesus. He said, listen, if you're going to come to me, this is the Father speaking, you've got to come through Jesus Christ. So he says, when you come, you make sure that you pray. And when you pray, you make sure you use his name, not yours. You need to pray in his name. And when you pray in his name, ladies and gentlemen, God's ears open up. Why? And that's how he's able to say, but most of us don't even want to pray for five minutes a day. They did a survey. They did a survey, and they found out that less than 30% of preachers pray every day. Less than 30% of preachers. Are y'all listening to me? We ain't talking about just normal, regular folks. We talking about preachers. Leaders in the church of God won't even pray five minutes a day. And we think we're going to get saved. We think we're going to be all right because of the grace of God. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, God's got grace. But grace is for those who want it. Grace is for those who reach out for it. You gotta be on your job. Come on, say amen. Salvation is free, but it ain't totally free. You gotta get out there and get it for yourself. You gotta reach out for God. Come on, say amen. I want you to know that when we pray, God answers prayer on behalf of Jesus Christ. Come on, say amen. The Bible says. That when we come to God, in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, we must have faith, ladies and gentlemen. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. Somebody say hallelujah today. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means, ladies and gentlemen, that faith, ladies and gentlemen, is faith upon, first of all, knowing who God is. Are you with me today? Faith believes in who God is. In other words, I know God's character irregardless and irresponsible of what else is happening in my life. Now, how many of you know that when you become a Christian, everything is easy? <laughs> how many of you know, in fact, when you become a Christian, it really gets tough? The pathway to heaven is not paved, ladies and gentlemen, with daisies and roses and all of these beautiful petals. Ladies and gentlemen, the pathway to heaven is paved with blood, sweat, and tears. Because, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, listen, when you are not on God's side, the devil could care less because he already got you. He don't care what club you go to. He don't care, ladies and gentlemen, what party you show up at. But as soon as you decide, I claim Jesus as my Redeemer, all of a sudden, he got a problem with you. All of a sudden, he starts throwing mess and darts, fiery darts from hell coming towards you. And it gets harder and harder. And thanks of God, sometimes when you're working through this thing, are y'all with me today? When you're walking this walk of faith, sometimes you get an idea in your head. And it comes from the devil that maybe God doesn't accept you. Maybe God doesn't love me the way he says he does. Are y'all with me today? I'm keeping it real today. Are y'all with me? Yeah, yeah. Even as a preacher, sometimes you wonder, 
open that door like he said he was going to do. Are you with me? Why did God shut that one? I don't understand God. And you can get to a point in your life where you start thinking, I don't, I, I don't know if I should keep going with this thing. But see, when you've got faith, see, faith knows God's character. See, it's not just God's word. It's who God is. See, God's word is here to teach you about who God is so that when you get in trouble, when the devil comes down hard on you, when life gets rough, and when people are backbiting and hating on you, even in the church, you can realize and recognize that the character of God is still love, and I will speak after him, regardless of what happens. Come on, say amen. So, ladies and gentlemen, if there's a death in your family, God is still good. If you lose your job because of the Sabbath, God is still good. Are you with me today? If your kids begin to throw you out the water and they begin to do whatever they tell the will, please, listen, God is still good. And I've still got faith. And I will go to God. I will seek after him. I will diligently go after him. Why? Because I know he's good. And secondly, I know that he's a rewarder. Of them that diligently seek you. You've got to have some persistence. Come on, say amen. You've got to have some persistence with God. Some of us give up on God too early. Because we don't know God's character. Listen, if you know, saints of God, that you got somebody that's got a million dollars and he plans on giving it away to anybody who's willing to come and get it, what would you do? Oh, I'm going to be in his face. Come on, say amen. Oh, I'm going to be there every day. When he wakes up, I'm going to be right there. I want the money. Come on, say amen. When he's at lunch, hey, listen, did I let you know this morning? Oh, I'll let you know again. I want the Are y'all with me today? Well, that's, listen, that's how we are. See, if we're like that with money, how come we can't be like that with God for spiritual blessings that he's already promised? He's already said they're yours. But you know what, God? I'm coming after him. Come on, say amen. I'm coming to get him. Somebody say hallelujah. And the Bible says that he will respond by rewarding us when we diligently seek after him. Now, the question this morning, though, is how is it that prayer is so powerful? What is it about prayer that makes God's blessing so available to us? The Bible tells us that it's because Jesus prayed for us. Jesus is actually our prayer warrior. Hebrews tells us that he is our intercessor with God. He's our high priest. Come on, say amen. And the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus lives to pray for us. You didn't know that, did you? Notice Hebrews 7 and verse 25 again. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, that come unto God by him, seeing, must it, seeing or recognizing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Somebody say hallelujah. See, this is another difference.
Jesus that makes him more magnanimously, more powerful than a regular, ordinary high priest from earth. You see, Jesus ever lived. You see, ladies and gentlemen, all those high priests that were with the old covenant, are y'all with me? Aaron and all the rest of them, they're all dead and gone. They can't pray for you no more. But my Jesus, oh Jesus, he ever lived. And he's continuously right now interceding on behalf of you and me. And he's never going to die. Come on, say amen. Paul tells us that Jesus lives forever. A position that makes him our greatest supporter before the glory of heaven. It's always God's intention in the Old, in the Old Testament. It was always his intention to live among his people. And he needed a bridge, a gap. And what he did was he put the priest in place so that we could see an image of what Jesus does for us. Jesus goes into the most holy place before God for us. Somebody say amen. And he ever lives for us. He ever speaks on our behalf. He ever reaches up to where God is so that, ladies and gentlemen, he can reach down to where we are and pull us up to where God is. We've got a great high priest, Hebrews 4 and 14 says, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith. In other words, you and I, when we pray, we can have confidence. We can have confidence to know that God hears us because of Jesus. Some of us are too scared to pray. We think we're too bad that God won't hear us because of what we just did two minutes ago. Are y'all with me today? And can I keep it real this morning? Yeah. You know how when you do something, you don't even want to pray because you know God saw it just like you saw it. But I want you to know you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the Bible says that when you mess up, listen, just come before God and go to God through Jesus. And come with confidence. Come with boldness. Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, when you're unfaithful, he is faithful. When you're unrighteous, he is righteous. When you're unholy, he's holy for you. He comes before the Father on our behalf. But here's the question this morning. The question of the hour. And we're going to answer it and then I'm going to let you go home. Why does Jesus pray? Are y'all with me today? I know why we pray. Because <laughs> we need to pray. But Jesus don't need to pray. I wish I had help in here. He don't need to pray for himself. Come on, say amen. So why does he pray? Reason number one that Jesus prays. Is because the devil prays, P-R-E-Y, on us, and the devil prays against us. The reason why Jesus prays, number one, is because the devil prays, P-R-E-Y-S, on us, and he prays, P-R-A-Y-S, against us. The Bible tells us clearly that we have an enemy of the soul, and his name is Satan. He's an ex-angel of heaven who rebelled against God, fought against heaven's army, 
lost in dramatic fashion, was kicked out and booted out on his backside, and now he's looking for more recruits to just be a loser like he is. He wants to see the whole of God's creation as nothing more than a desert wasteland, and he hates God with every fiber of his being. But the problem is, he can't rock with God. Because he tried it, and he got kicked out. Are y'all with me? So he's got to come through a subversive way. He's got to come through a back door. Are y'all with me? And he's going to get God no matter what. He's going to get at him. So what does he do? He messes with God's children. And how many know, ladies and gentlemen, that God's children are the apple of his eye? And that's what he does. He messes with us. He tries to tear us down and rip us apart and tries to pull us down to where the devil is. And he tries to mess us up and it hurts the heart of God. God hates to see his children wandering around in darkness, feeling downtrodden, feeling just demoralized and depressed and feeling like there is no hope. Are y'all with me today? I'm trying to talk to somebody today. God hates that because he wants you to know that you've got a powerful God on heaven up in the throne, and he waits for you to call on him. But the devil does his dead level best to mess with us. And I tell you, listen, let me tell you something. I don't care what you say about me. You can't hurt me. I'm too old, too tired to be concerned about what people care about me. You understand what I'm saying? 47 years old last Friday. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you back by me. You can tell the truth. And some of it would be true. But I don't care. Because you can't hurt me. Like they said, take the stone, they break my bones. But words will never hurt me. You can even come and pull up a fisticuffs on me. I'll still take you out. Can't hurt me. I don't care. But if you really want to get under my skin, if you really want to mess with me, deal with my children. Am I right about it? How many mothers in here know what I'm talking about? Listen, listen. My son goes to a, a Christian school. Have been in school. Come on, say amen. And one day he came home and he was looking downtrodden and looked like he was feeling bad. I said, what, Son, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And this is what he said. He said, uh, you, know, my, you know my friend so-and-so? I said, yes. You know, it's a little girl of a different persuasion. I wish I had help in you. <laughs> Nothing wrong. I'm just, I'm just making that point because what I'm about to say, you're going to see the impact of it. And so I said, okay, okay, what's, what's wrong? What happened? Well, uh, Daddy, she she spit on me. I said, what, what did you say? <laughs> Daddy, she spit on me. She spit in my face. You know, not like on my leg or something, or on my, you know, on my jeans. So she spit in my face. You know what I'm talking about? You, you feel what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I said, she did what? I said, say it to me one more time. What did she do? I said, we're we going to go talk to your teacher. 
Africa went to talk to the teacher and on the way there saw the little girl. Now, <laughs> see, anybody who knows anything about the history of African Americans in America knows what it means when somebody spits in your You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so all those feelings, all those emotions, all the past history of racism and everything else culminated in my mind as soon as I saw this young lady. And I'm telling you, it took massive praise. It took what everybody to keep me from. You won't, you won't, you won't spit on them again. You may spit one time, but you won't do it again. I wish I had help in here. Because, because, see, my heart is with my kids. Are y'all with me today? Yeah, yeah. And I don't care. I know she's little. I don't care. She don't mess with my kids. You understand what I'm saying? Because he was hurt by it. Come on, say amen. He was hurt by it. She was his friend, and he was hurt by that thing. And when he was hurt, I was hurt. And I was ready to take out some retribution up in here. You understand what I'm saying? Well, that's what the devil knows about God. He knows that God is God, You know, he just, God is meek and humble, but when you mess with his children, he's ready to get up off the throne and take them out. Take some stuff out. He's ready to take out a slice and throw, you know, whatever it takes. Because he cares for his children. Are y'all with me today? And this is the thing that the Bible says about the devil. I remember I said the devil pray, B-R-E-Y-S, on us. Watch this. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we can quote it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your what, everybody? The devil... As a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Talking about the devil preying on us. I was looking at a, a you know a documentary on lions. I, I I don't know if it was on you know National Geographic or Animal Planet, whatever it was, but they talked about lions and how they hunt. And they say that lions are basically lazy. Are y'all with me? Matter of fact, it's usually the females that go out and oh, they don't don't talk. And so what happens is this is how lions hunt. Lions hunt. Now they're the king of the beast, amen. They got all this power and all this. And what they do is they get around some gazelles, a big you know a a a, a, a big group of gazelles. And what they do is they roar. They do what everybody. And they scare the hordes. They scare the group of gazelles or antelope or whatever they're going after. And what happens is the gazelles become fearful. The gazelles become whatever they And then they become uh, scared and they start to run. Now here's how the lion prays. Here's how the lion prays on his on his hunting prey. Are y'all with me? He looks at the group, and he looks and sees where the weakest one is. 
He looks for the one that's far behind, the one that's gotten away from the parents. Are y'all with me? And the highest target, that weak antelope, that weak deer, or that weak whatever it is. And he goes after it and kills And that's how the devil hunts. You got to be sober. You got to be vigilant. Because he's like a, what kind of lion, everybody? Roar. See, what the devil does, he roars in your face to make you scared. And get you fearful. And not thinking about who your daddy is. And you start to run. And you forget to pray. And that's when he comes in and starts pouncing on you and starts eating on you. Are y'all with me today? That's how the devil hunts. The devil does not play fair. Somebody say the devil don't play fair. No, he don't play fair. He is not going after the strongest. He's going after the weakest. But we are told that the weakest saint, when he gets her, she gets on her knees and starts to pray to the Father, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that that weak saint, that messed up saint, that tore up from the floor of saints, has the power of God come down, and the devil nor his imp can do anything about it. All we have to do is pray. Come on, say amen. But Jesus prayed for us, ladies and gentlemen, because he knows how the devil hunts. And I love the story of Jesus and Peter, especially the part where Jesus confides in Simon that the devil has targeted him for destruction. It says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. In other words, Satan has prayed to God that he can have you and sift you like wheat. Are y'all with me today? The devil prays to God so that he can mess with you. See, the devil can't mess with you until he talks to your daddy. And he goes to God. He says, God, listen, I want to mess Michael's life up. And God weighs that thing. Somebody say hallelujah. See, the story of Job tells us that he weighs that thing. And he looked at it and he says, that's a tough one, but it's going to make it better. Go ahead and do it. Are y'all with me? So the devil actually asked God. He calls God. He calls him up on the phone. Are y'all with me today? He prays for you to get you. He desires to have you. He wants to mess your life up. He wants to get you, not while you're here at church, he wants to kill you while you're in the club. Mm-hmm. He wants to mess your life up. But the Bible says that Jesus told Peter, listen, he desires to have you and he wants to sift you as we, but I have prayed for you. Oh, glory to God. Somebody say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, listen. This is the thing about God. God doesn't wait until you get in trouble. Jesus doesn't wait until the thing comes up in your life. Jesus knows because he's God. Come on, say amen. He sees your future from the beginning, and he knows when you're about to mess up. And he prays now for what you're going to do then. 
He prays now for what the devil is going to try to do to you then. He prays now. He says, God, give him faith. Strengthen his heart. Help him, God, and help him to get through it so that when he gets through the other side, he can go and strengthen his brother. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. The Bible says that the devil loves to pray against us. The Bible says, watch this, in Revelation 12 and verse 10, the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down who accused them before God day and night. The devil never stops praying against you. So God has to ever live through Jesus to pray for you. Come on, say amen. I'm so glad because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know who you are and I don't care who you are. You can't stay up all day and all night and every hour of the day praying for yourself. Somebody's got to be praying for you. Somebody's got to be up in the courtroom with God for you. And it's got to be somebody who never sleeps and never slumbers. Because the devil is all day, all night accusing you before God. And most of the time he's right. Can I keep it real? Most of the time he's right. But God says, I'm going to teach you. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> he says, I rebuke thee, Satan. Get thee behind me. I won't listen to that garbage because my son's son has been off. Somebody say hallelujah today. Jesus constantly prays because the devil prays on us and the devil prays against us. Secondly, Jesus prays for us because, ladies and gentlemen, he's got compassion for a lost humanity. Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 6. And seven says this, and as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. The Bible says that Jesus showed some of his strongest emotions when caring for the lost. The word says that Jesus cried over the city of Jerusalem. Matthew 23 and verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are unto thee. How often I would have loved to gather you as chicks, as a mother gathers her chicks, but you would not. Oh, how much God loves us. He loved his way with people. A great opportunity was there for the people of Jerusalem to come to him, but they knew not the time of their visitation. If only they had prayed with Jesus. Then so many more souls could have been saved by the glory of God, but they would not. The shortest text in the Bible, John 11:35, is probably one of the most profound. It says that Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept, ladies and gentlemen, because it was his liquid language. Jesus' tears are a message 
and a reminder that even God's power can't save those who refuse to be saved. The only reason that Jesus truly weeps is because of unbelief. It's because of what, everybody? Even in the midst of miracles and the powerful exposition of God's word, people often refuse to believe God. It was at the grave site of Lazarus that Jesus groaned, the Bible says, within himself because the people before whom he had revealed so much of his power doubted him. Jesus groaned within himself. So what did Jesus do? Jesus prayed. Come on, say amen. The Bible says that Jesus prayed. And he said, Father in heaven, <laughs> I, I'm not praying for myself, but I'm praying for those around me that they might know that I am your son and that you sent me and that you got the power to bring back the life from death. God raised Lazarus up. And he raised him up. Come on, say amen. And all the doubters had to stop doubting. As a matter of fact, it was when God raised Lazarus up, when Jesus raised Lazarus up, that's when the religious people got together and said, we got to kill him now. He's showing them too much power because there's power in prayer. Come on, say amen. Jesus weeps for a lost humanity. He connects himself with a lost race of people, and we should do the same. We should pray for the lost even as Jesus prayed for the lost. Are you as passionate as Jesus is for a lost world? Do you pray for your lost brothers and your lost sisters? Or do you just say, well, God will find a way? Do you spend any time at all praying for those in your own family who you know on the outside of the ark of safety? We've got to be like Jesus. Come on, say amen. And Jesus loves everybody. He loves who, everybody? Everybody. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good unto them that hate you, and pray for them. And do what, everybody? Pray for them. You've got two options when people come messing with your life. Two options. You can either fight them or you can fight for them. Are you with me? When somebody comes talking about you and dogging you out, you can either fight against them or you can fight for them with God. God says, pray for your enemies. Why? Because, saints of God, they need to be saved just like you. And because, saints of God, I don't know whether you know this or not, but you and I were an enemy of God himself. The Bible says that he died while for us, while we were yet sinners. We were against the kingdom of God, and he died for us, and he calls us to have the same ministry. Come on, say amen. Jesus is always about saving the lost. The Bible says in Luke 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus exemplified this in his own life, especially during the most trying hour of his mission here on earth. Jesus, just before he was to go to a cross, spent some time 
at the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane comes from the Aramaic word, which literally means oil press. The place of the oil press. And I don't know if you've ever seen an ancient oil press, uh, an ancient olive press. But what they used to do is they throw olives into this uh, granite stone-like big, huge uh, bucket thing. And then they would take another huge granite round stone and whirl it around. They'd use an ox and tie that ox to that, that, that rolling stone. And the ox would push with all its might. And that stone would crush all of the oil out of those olives. And that crushing brought forth the purity of the olive oil. And just like those olives were crushed, that's how Jesus was crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he was praying for us, he was being crushed by our sin, crushed by our lying on one another, crushed by the way that we treat one another in the church. He was crushed under the heavy weight of our sin. Oh, but that crushing brought forth a blessing. The Bible says that as the more he was squeezed, the more his blood came out of his pores. Come on, say amen. That blood represents his love. That blood represents his cleansing power. That blood represents his righteousness for us. Just Jesus was squeezed and pressed. The Bible says he began to agonize. And the Bible says when he started to agonize, and when the Bible, uh, the word for agonize means that when you are in a confrontation and you feel yourself losing. Have you ever been in a fight and you lose? Hello, somebody. And you get that feeling like this ain't going to work out. <laughs> I done got myself into something. And I ain't got no business being here. <laughs> Maybe George Zimmerman need to wake up. Come on, say amen. And so that's what it's like to agonize. You're in a fight, but you don't have enough energy to finish. And Jesus began to agonize there in the Garden of Gethsemane with the weight of our sins upon him. And the Bible says when, as soon as he began to agonize, as soon as he felt like he was about to lose, guess what he did? The Bible says he prayed all the more. He prayed all the more. Listen, when you are losing in your fire life, do what Jesus did. Pray even more for God's power to shine in your life. The Bible tells us that after he prayed, the angel came down and suckered himself unto him and gave him strength to go on and die for us. Come on, say amen. Jesus prayed for us. And like Jesus prayed for us, we should pray for those who, ladies and gentlemen, are lost. We should have compassion for those who are not like us, who do not understand the salvation glory of God. We need to teach others about Jesus. We need to pray for them. We need to pray an anointing would fall on them, that God would show them who he really is. we got to be like Jesus. Come on, say amen. And lastly, lastly, why does Jesus pray? Jesus prays for us 
because he desires for us to be his prayer partner. He wants us to be his prayer partner. Is what, everybody? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 8. What book did I say, everybody? Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 3. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 3, says another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. With the what, everybody? So the angel was there to offer incense with the prayers of the saints. Come on, say amen. And ladies and gentlemen, the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And verse 4, and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. I read this story a little while ago about a foreign Bible professor who had never been to Niagara Falls, and he finally found himself right on the embankment of the Niagara, and he was amazed at the terrific torrents and power and force. As he was standing there, he could feel the force of that water up under his feet, moving and shaking the ground in which he was on. And he thought to himself, wow, what a mighty, mighty powerful thing of God. Every minute down those falls, fall, down those Niagara Falls, every minute falls 39 million gallons of white cap water. Every minute of the day, 39 million gallons of water. That's a lot of water. Suddenly something came and prompted him to pray. And when he prayed, began to earnestly seek God for a more persevering and prevailing prayer life. And God vividly impressed upon his mind that this conscious mighty flow of the Niagara represented, represents Christ's powerful prayer life for us. He said, yes, Lord, yes, but what about Christ's mighty... He said, this is a, a mighty move of God for me to see that this is how God, this is how Jesus prayed for us. He said, but what about my weak prayers? He said, there's nothing but a little small droplet of water that flows. He's got these huge prayers. What about my prayers, God? He began to continue to pray and pray, and suddenly a thought came to his mind. The thought said, why don't you mingle your prayers with Jesus' prayers? Somebody say hallelujah. He began to shout, glory to God. Yes. This powerful flow of Niagara prayers as it goes up to God. I can place my prayers along with you. And things of God, that's what God pictures for us in the sanctuary. You see, saints, the Bible says that the angel came and brought the prayers of the saints to the altar. Are y'all with me? Now, these are the prayers of the saints. You'd think that they would just go right into the throne room, but they can't. They can't because they can't get entrance yet. They've got to be mingled with something. The angel comes and he gets the incense. He gets the what, everybody? The incense. And the incense represents Christ's perfect 
sacrifice for us. Somebody say hallelujah. Represents Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. So God, he takes our prayer, your prayer, and my prayer, and then the high priest, he takes our prayer, your prayer, and my prayer, he puts them on the altar, and before he sends them up, he takes the incense, the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, and he puts it together with our prayers. And then watch this, the high priest, who's our high priest? Jesus himself, he takes his own incense and your prayers, and he walks them in to the throne room. And watch this now. The Spirit of Prophecy says that when we pray, this is what Jesus does. When we pray, he doesn't take our prayers into the throne room as our prayers. No, 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 no. He doesn't do that. First, first, he says, come over here, Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen, begins to change the language of our prayers and makes our prayers in the right form, in the right function, and changes it to, 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 to God's language, holy language. Come on, say amen. And the fear of our that what Jesus as our high priest does, he takes our prayers and he brings them into his bosom. And he makes those prayers come, he makes those prayers intermingle with who he is as a person. Come on, say amen. He feels the infirmities that we have. He feels the weaknesses that we have. He feels the needs that we have. And what he does is he takes those needs. He takes those feelings of weakness. He takes those infirmities and he walks into the throne room of God. And what he does is he doesn't tell God your prayers, but he takes your prayers. He makes them his prayers. And then he prays for you. He says, God, I want this. I want that. I want a new house for so-and-so. I want a new relationship for so-and-so. I want a new job for sister so-and-so. Not you, not you. He says, I want it, God. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I realize that when Jesus prays, he gets whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. God's going to give it to him. That's why the Bible says, hey, <laughs> every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess because he is the greatest of the great. His name is above every other name. He's the greatest of all the great. He's the best of all the best. And ladies and gentlemen, when we have an advocate with the Father, like Jesus, we don't have to worry about whether or not he hears our prayer. Because Jesus makes your prayer my his prayer. He makes my prayer his prayer. And his prayer will always be.
is are you ready to pray? Are you ready to pray? Because Jesus is ready. He's ready to pray for you. Are you ready to pray and ask God for whatever you want? He said, I am your father. I will withhold no good thing from you. No good thing. Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, when you pray, make sure you pray in my name. Because that gives me permission to make your prayer my prayer. Are you ready to pray today? Are you ready to pray for your own soul salvation today? Are you ready to pray today? Are you ready to pray for the salvation of others? Today, are you ready to pray today? Ready to say, God, I need you to move in Glenville, Cleveland, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, Springfield, Nate, Cincinnati. I need you to take the whole state under your wing, God. I'm not praying these small prayers anymore because I know my prayer will become Jesus' prayer. I'm not praying this little small stuff. God, I don't want it all. I want the whole city of East Cleveland. I want all, I want the whole area. I'm asking you to do it. Because you told me that whatever I ask in your name, that you would do. That's what you said. Whatever you ask in his name. Father God, thank you for praying for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for me even before the mess hit me, even before the devil targeted me. Thank you for praying for me. And God, I ask right now that you touch some heart, some soul under the sound of my voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen. God says, God says there's many people in here, listen to me, who have not been praying like they know they should. You've been afraid. You've been doubtful. You've been scared. Or whatever it is, you've been distracted. And God is calling you right now to a stronger prayer life. With confidence, he says, come boldly before my throne room of grace and obtain the mercy. Come boldly because you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. How dare you not pray? How dare you leave gifts on the altar of sacrifice? How dare you leave all these blessings that I have in heaven up in glory because you refuse to ask me for them? I dare you to ask you. I dare you to take it upon yourself and ask God for whatever you want in Jesus' name. God says it's time out for these half-heart Christians. It's time to become a prayer warrior. Even if it's just for yourself. Be a prayer warrior. Let people know, hey, I serve a risen Savior 
matter what they say. See his hand of mercy. I hear his voice And just the time I need him, he's always there. He lives. He lives like Jesus. He lives today. He's living evermore to pray for us, to intercede on our behalf. It's time for you to take advantage of your advantage in heaven. You have an advantage and you haven't been using it. It's time to break out the super, super duper, super blast, super gun. Jesus. Time to bring out the secret weapon. Jesus. Somebody in here needs to make it clear. I'm going to start praying like God calls me to pray. And you need to come down right now. Hey, and well, Jesus, how I'm praying. Back to work at the YMCA where I was with the children and their membership there. 
society. I, I think uh, society takes for granted that they, being a stay-at-home mom is really a full-time job managing your household and your children and your husband. So I really commend you for, um, you know, for being a stay-at-home mom. And sometimes I think that we don't appreciate our, our moms and the role they so when we first became Facebook friends, I noticed that you were posting some things about your thyroid and the weight gain from your thyroid. So I'd like to talk talk to you a little bit about that. Maybe tell me a little bit about some of the things that you are experiencing and how you discovered it was your thyroid. And then then we can talk a little bit about what you some things you tried to really get everything under control. Um, going all the way back to when I first decided to get serious about my health and being sick, my son was um, 18 months old and four years old, and I you know, one day I was just really fed up with how I was feeling and looking. So then I um, got myself over to the gym, you know, lined up, and um, I did my research, of course, I didn't just jump in. I mean, I had exercise going on. Um, and I found one, and I began following it, and I was quite successful. I mean, it's what he eats now. Wow. Um, you know, some of his teeth are old. All of the things that he eats are so fun.
being stressed out, not eating properly, not getting exercise, like either, any of those things, you know? So really the best thing to do is when, if you get it checked, just making sure that the levels are right on, if they're a little bit off, there still could be some cause for concern and to follow up and just make sure that you're taking some corrective action. Exactly. Like I said, not this is not a one-size-fits-all solution, but like I said, I know from everything that I read that soy is definitely something that doesn't work well when you have an underactive thyroid. So I will tell people, look, if you're having, you know, particular thyroid issues and asthma, like, well, just try, if you eat a lot of soy, if you drink soy milk, try replacing that. You know, I drink almond milk, you know. Mm-hmm. Try something different and see if you notice any changes. They may or they may not, but it's worth a try. And it's not like they're doing anything um, that's going to cause harm. So a few weeks ago, I noticed on your Facebook post, I think you said, I believe you said you probably lost almost 50 pounds. And if you, if you just say that you are several dress sizes smaller than when you were at your beginning weight. Tell me about your weight loss journey and really some things that you've incorporated into your everyday activity. I know you exercise most days, but what is your typical day like? Do you get breakfast? What do you focus on when you're eating your breakfast? Do you try to have you know, a big meal in the morning or you spread your meal apart? Do you eat every three hours? Just kind of tell me what your typical day is like. Okay. I, um, I, depending on the time I have in the morning when I'm trying to get out and <laughs> get everybody to where they need to be, um, I'll typically have, um, I mean, first of all, let me back up. I do eat anywhere from five to eight times a day. Depends on what time okay. I start my day, what time I end my day, and what my workouts for the day are like. Um, I will have, I'll make it a point to have um, protein, protein sources every meal. And for me, and I know this isn't typical for everyone, but because I have uh, a specific goal for myself in mind, I ingest more protein than the average person would. Um, for the purpose of muscle building. Of course, you still need protein and amino acids for every other bodily function, but, you know, if you're lifting weight with the intent of developing your, your muscles, you're going to need more protein. So I do that, but I'll have, like, I'll have some uh, old-fashioned or still-cut oats in the morning, and I'll add, after they're cooked, I'll pour some liquid egg whites over it, mix it up. <laughs> and have some berries, some beef olives, um, a little stevia, and you know, sometimes I'll put in um, maybe some almonds, or, you know, if you've got this or this, that, little cinnamon, what have you, and then I'll have, you know, also some points in the day, I make sure I have a nice big green smoothie with, with protein in it, but a lot of green vegetables and some, you know, green. I'll put in a green apple, a little mango for um, then I'll have rest of the time. I try to not have any starchy carbohydrates in the evening. I keep that all up in the daytime. And in the evening, I'll have like a protein source and like vegetables. Um, but my main sources for carbohydrates will be like brown rice, 
sweet potatoes, oatmeal. Um, I like Ezekiel bread. Oh, well, I love bread, period. That's <laughs> 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 I just I love bread. <laughs> but, you know, and I'll have, like, because I have the morning, I have a bad waffle, um, organic almond butter, the little diving nectar instead of syrup over it. You know, depends on the time I have, but the point is I try to make sure I'm having whatever my meals are, make sure they're rounded out, and even if I'm out and have to grab something while I'm out, I always try to make sure that it's balanced. You know, and I know I can't control the sodium in what I'm getting when I'm out, but I still balance it because I think it was the balance of water a day as well. Wow. So flush all of that out, you know. So, oh, um, five to eight meals a day, I would think it requires a lot of planning. Are you planning your meals at the beginning of the week, or you just make sure you have certain things available for that one time to grab something? I try to make sure I have things available because I confess that I'm not the most organized person on earth. I'm working on that one. <laughs> I've got a lot of work to do. But I have friends who are, um, who are, um, certification as a fitness trainer. 
um, get into either physique or women's physique or figure competition sometime next year. And so I've got a long way to go. I still have a lot of work to do, um, but I'm just uh, taking my time. I know that for me it's going to take longer to meet the goal simply because of my physiology, but I don't let that stop. That's great. So I, I like your focus on realizing that it's not a quick fix and that you're just yeah. you have a goal and however long it takes for you to get to that goal and you're going to accomplish it. So right. tell me one thing that you would tell our audience about setting goals and really sticking to them. What has caused you to really be focused on on these goals and how have you been able to stick with them so long and not go back to what you were doing before? Well, the first setting goals is concerned is important to, first of all, see the big picture of what you want to do, but realize that you have to take it one step at a time, and so then set many goals, like say, you know, and, and be specific when you set your goals. Say, for the next two weeks, I'm going to stop drinking soda. Mm. You know, you can replace soda with water. That's something that's something that's doable, but that's something where you're going to see some major changes if you do that, you know. Um, say I'm going to, I want to start exercising, so for the next week, I'm going to walk for 20 minutes three times this week. That's if you never, you know, you're just starting out. You don't want to get out there and kill yourself and the next day be like, I'm never going to exercise again. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so smaller, manageable things, um, and then building on that, eventually you look back and like, okay, well I did that. So if I did that, then maybe I can do something bigger or something more. Um, and that's how I I've had to had to deal with things and focus on things. And then also, um, you know, the same thing to eat. Um, one thing that's very important diet that I've discovered and that it's recommended, even if you clean up your diet, it's a good idea to have, to not give up completely the things that you might love to have, that you mm. really shouldn't have. Um, like once a week, have a cheat meal, have something, something, some of those foods that you really love, but don't make it a daily habit. Mm. Your body, you know, your body will appreciate those extra calories. But at the same time, if you overdo it, it might backfire on you. But those things help with your with the psychology of it all. Because you have, oh, I get to have some cake this weekend. Okay, good. So I can, I can do that. But then you won't be going crazy looking for sweets because you have <laughs> that one slice of cake. You know, so wow. you know, it's important to, you know, like, if you do something like that, don't beat yourself up. This is something that is part of the plan for living healthier and being healthier, um, easing into exercise, always challenging yourself when something becomes easy, you know, do something to make it more difficult, you know, walk a little faster on a treadmill, change the incline, pick up some heavier weight, you know, and it's just a matter of changing, keeping your body challenged, keeping your mind challenged, and, you know, keeping prayerful about it and trusting God to help get get to the goal. Wow. Wow, those are excellent tips. 
very, very, very good. So at some point, when you begin training, I know I asked Crystal probably about several months ago, but she really started to train because I really like the results that she's getting. So will you begin training at some point? Well, for training others. Oh, training others specifically? Yeah, I will yeah. be doing that. So I just started um, last week with my um, NASM certification. Um, I'm studying for that. Even though you have six months to go and sit for the exam, I'm just going to see if I'm going to need the six months. But I want to make sure I fully absorb the information before I sit for the exam. Right. I anticipated taking that long, but um, I do fully intend to be able to, you know,
Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for an opportunity to talk about Matthew health. chapter 17. I'm going to read in your hearing, starting from verse 14. Now, and ask all who are able to please stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Matthew chapter 17, starting from verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falls into the fire and falls into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Verse 18, in this rural land, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, we have enjoyed the time that we have spent together in this revival. God, we enjoy the songs that were sung this evening by the songbirds of Zion. And Lord, we recognize afresh and anew that, God, if we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Appreciate the anointing that you've laid on Pastor Royce this morning. Appreciate the spirit in the room that saw the desire and the need to go out into our community and do acts of kindness. Now, God, as we've come to not only close out your Sabbath, but to close out this revival, I just have one request that you'll use me as a tack on a wall, hang a picture of Christ glorified, edified, and crucified for all of our sins. And Lord, may the words of this preacher's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts today be acceptable in your sight. Father God, I need thee. I need thee. Blessed Lord, I need thee. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I want to stick a tag in this text and with your prayers, look at the subject matter, I'm a survivor. I'm a survivor. Uh, life is filled with peaks and valleys, mountain highs and valley lows. A peak may be something excellent that happens in your life, something great that you celebrate, uh, something that you want to remember, like a graduation, uh, birth of a child, uh, a wedding day, uh, uh, an anniversary, special things. Life is full of peaks and valleys, mountain highs and valley lows. It's during those moments of being on the mountain top uh, that it would seem and appear that it is easiest to serve the Lord. It's easy to maintain your integrity and proclaim that God is good 
when you are riding on the high places of your life. It's easy to clap and say God is good and all the time God is good when, when everything is moving from one peak to another peak. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, is that although it's good to be on the mountaintop, the truth of life is that it is often lived in the valley. Yeah, it, it's often lived in the valley. And it's not to say that peaks don't come, but because they aren't going to be there forever, um, the, the, the challenge in the Christian life is not to learn how to live on the mountaintop, uh, friends of mine, but it's how to live in the valley. How to live in, in, in the valley. And in particular, when we come to our passage of Scripture found here in Matthew, and the same story is told in Mark chapter 9, uh, we find, and, and you have to excuse me, I'm just a slave to the text, if you would, and I don't want you to understand the context surrounding the text. When we look at Matthew chapter 17, when we look in earlier chapters, uh, earlier verses in that chapter, Jesus has been on the mountaintop, and we, we know that it's been called it the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus has been up there with his dogs, Peter, James, and John. They've all been up there on the mountaintop. And if you consider this time in Jesus' ministry, it was a good time to be invested in Jesus. It was a good time to be connected with Jesus. Things were going well if you were part of Jesus' crew. Uh, Jesus' popularity was at an all-time high as, as hundreds of thousands would, would flock to be where Jesus was. And what I always find amazing about the ministry of Jesus, Pastor Royce, is that although Jesus, or rather in that day, there were no cell phones, there was no email, there was no Instagram or social media, somehow, someway, the word always went out wherever Jesus was going to be, and people were always there waiting for him in anticipation. And if I was staying there on that point, I would just stay there and say, I wonder why in that day and age, when they knew no way of getting information around, people would often wait for where they thought Jesus was going to be. But here we are in the 21st century, and we can't even be where we believe the people of God should be. His popularity was at an all-time high. Hundreds of thousands would flock to wherever Jesus would. He had fed 5,000-plus people. He had walked on water. He was healing sick people left, right, and center with just the hem of his garment. It was a good time to be invested in Jesus. Everybody wanted to be associated with Jesus. And, and if I could stay here for a moment, I would just say, when things in your life are going great, everybody wants to know you you and everybody will call out your name and everybody will want to be beside you and rub up on your left and your right to try to have some of what you got rub up off them but but beloved what you've got to understand is it's not about when you are high and things are going swell that you should judge the number of friends around you you need to know how people are going to act to you when you're down and out in the valley yeah, Jesus' popularity is at an all-time high, and, and people are wanting to get 
connected with him. His disciples are walking around feeling like that they are all that and a bag of shit as they beat their chest and, and pump and stick out their chest because they're part of Jesus' crew. We know also from the text that the disciples have already been sent out and they've already cast out demons and healed folk in the name of Jesus. Jesus sensing that complacency was coming over his disciples says to them in the previous chapter, hey, guess what? You know, things aren't always going to be this great. There's going to come a time when all of this is going to be put to the side, and you are going to have to suffer for my name. Now, Peter being Peter, he's my favorite disciple, because he always says what everybody else is thinking, and he gets in trouble for saying what everybody else is thinking, because he often speaks without thinking, but you know that the rest of the disciples were always happy that Peter said it. So Peter kind of pulls Jesus aside and says to Jesus, man, you can't say that to people because we're trying to win souls here. We're trying to attract people, and it's not cool to tell people the truth. I'll let that marinate on your head for a minute. It's not cool. Uh, Pastor Myron, what Jesus does is give one of the strongest rebukes to an individual that you'll find in the Bible when he looks at Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. So he goes to the mountaintop, and they have this mountaintop experience. I'm just giving you pretext so you understand the context of where we're going. They go to the mountaintop and have this mountaintop experience, and, and Peter, being caught up in the throng of this experience, says to Jesus, We ought to stay on the mountaintop, and I'll make the three tents so that you all can stay there. And, and at first glance, that seems like the right thing to do, because don't you know when the worship is hot, you want to stay in it. When the preaching is good, you want to stay in that moment. But what you got to understand and what Peter did not realize is that life does not happen on the mountaintop. It happens in the valley. And you want to praise God that Jesus comes off the mountaintop every so often and dwells in the valley. Uh, furthermore, furthermore, I'm not preaching, I just want you to understand some things. Furthermore, Peter's motive for wanting to stay on the mountaintop was not altruistic. He knows what Jesus has just said, and so now when Peter is suggesting to them that they stay on the mountaintop, this is Peter's way of trying to avoid the road because nobody really wants to intentionally go through difficulty. And so Peter wanted to stay so they could avoid what Jesus has just said to them in the previous chapter about how things are going to be rough. Peter knows if I can stay on the mountaintop, if I can just keep living in this throng of glory, I'll never have to go through hard times, and I'll never have to go through difficulty, and I'll never have to go through some rough times. And, and somebody here this afternoon, this evening, needs to know that life does not happen on the mountaintop. Happens in the valley. And all the while, while Jesus, Peter, James, and John are on the mountaintop, mess is about to pop off in the valley. 
a trouble is happening in the valley. And, and what we have to be, be understanding tonight is that while we're in the throng of worship and enjoying ourselves, Satan is busy in the valley. Sure, he may try to creep up on the mountaintop, and sure, he may try to creep into our worship experience, but, but you've got to understand at some point when the worship is good, even the adversary knows that he can't do anything to distract this thing, so he'll walk out of here. But he's showing up is waiting for you at your car. He's showing up as waiting for you on the phone. He's showing up as waiting for you in that email. The devil is busy. Well, we're on the mountaintop lifting holy hands and praising him in the throng of Shekinah glory and saying hallelujah and glory and really worshiping him. Satan is busy plotting and planning our downfall. You're on the mountaintop. You're on the mountaintop. Jesus comes off the mountaintop, and when he comes to the valley, the first thing he encounters is a boy possessed by a demon. He encounters this boy possessed by a demon. The boy is brought to Jesus by his father after his disciples, who presumably were left in the valley, could not heal him. And if I could just stay here for a moment, it's very clear to us this evening that though his disciples had been around Jesus, though they had learned from the very mouth of Jesus, it was clear that they were missing something. Because how is it that they could not in this moment when it needed to be so much heal this boy? Don't tell me that they didn't have the power to do it because we already know through Scripture that they've done this prior to. So don't tell me they didn't have access. Don't tell me it's something that they had never seen before because they had seen this thing. They had experienced it before. They had been equipped for this thing. Pastor Royce, they had been anointed for this thing. But some way, somehow, they were unable to do this thing. And I would suggest to you that there are some things in our lives that no matter how spiritual your pastor is and no matter great of a giant your elders or your leadership are, there are some things in your life, brothers and sisters, that can only be handled by Jesus. Yeah, there are some things that can only be handled by Jesus. There are some things that, that you must not share with others, and there are some things that you must just leave at the foot of the cross and trust and believe that Jesus has taken care of it. See, the challenge with some of us is that we waste so much time in our Christian experience of trying to deal with everybody else and trying to ask them what they think about this and trying to ask them if they're opinion about that and trying to ask them if they can help me here or if they can help me there. And the reality is Jesus is the last person we call on. Here it is. Something goes wrong in my life, I call the pastor. I'm feeling sick, I call the doctor. I've got a legal problem, I call the lawyer. I've got an emotional problem, I call the psychologist. And when those men or women fail, then I call on Jesus. But I believe that God is looking for a few folks in these days that will know that my first, second, third, and fourth instinct is to call on the name of Jesus. And, you know, it shows just how fickle we are. Because on the one hand, out of one side of our mouth, we'll say that there is a name that's above every name. We'll say a name that makes demons tremble. We'll sing that God is my rock, source of my salvation. And we'll talk about how marvelous he is. But yet we'll go to everybody 
else for their opinion on the matters of the heart and on the matters of the soul and of the most important things with us. Some things only Jesus can handle. So watch this. Uh, This man brought his son to the disciples because he knew that, well, well, if if it's not Jesus, I know his disciples have exhibited power before. I know his disciples have exhibited uh, strength before. I know his disciples have, have exhibited some, some, some sort of supernatural healing coming out of them. And so he comes to them expecting to find Jesus. And if he cannot find Jesus, then he comes to them, listen to me, expecting to find the power of Jesus prevalent in their lives. Ooh. But instead, what he finds is spiritual impotence. And in this statement comes the truism about the people who come to us. Because people come to us expecting to find Jesus, or at least the power of Jesus. But instead, they find everything except Jesus. They come come expecting to find love, but instead they find animosity. They come expecting to find acceptance, but instead they find judgment. They come expecting to find peace, but instead they find conflict. They come expecting to find discernment, but instead... encounter Christ, you ought to be changed. You ought to be transformed. You ought to be delivered from something. You ought to be changed. You ought to be
They're just there to see him fail. They want to see him fail, and so they can't wait. They're praying, P-R-E-Y, on his downfall, and they're praying, P-R-A-Y, for his downfall. They wanted to see him fail. They wanted to see his ministry come out of the rug, pulled out from under it. Then there are those who should not have failed, who were connected to Christ and, and proclaim with their mouth that he is Lord. And so when Jesus, is, when Jesus speaks, he speaks almost exclusively to the second group because he ain't got time for the haters. Haters going to hate, so you're going to do what you're going to do. Let me keep investing my time, my effort, and my energy in you. The second group. Those of us who, who have walked with him and talked with him and we call him our own. That's the book that God expects greater from. He expects greater from. He expects you to do more and he expects you to live more because you have access to greater power. When Jesus comes off the mountaintop, and encounters what should have been an easy situation. He doesn't even address the man. He addresses his followers first. Surely he's not talking to the man's faith, because the man had great faith. The Bible lets us know that the man came down there and worshipped God, worshipped his son, even before he asked anything of him. He kneels down and calls him Lord, shows him the respect that he's due, and shows him the honor that he's due, even before he asks him to do anything. And if I could just teach us one thing about prayer, I would say sometimes, no, 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 all the time in our prayer life, when we are intentional about coming to God, we ought to honor him and praise him and thank him just for being God all by himself. Because the truth of the matter is, if he never does nothing else for us, his son's blood has been more than enough for us. He's an awesome God. The father recognizes this, and so he bows down to Jesus and, and worships him in that moment and thanks him even before he asks anything of him. Not talking to the father, talking to his disciples. Mark's account of this gospel, he describes the man that is the father, describes his son as having a, a dumb spirit. The Greek word translated here means mute. However, the same story is recorded in Matthew in our scripture for today, and I love Matthew because Matthew's account, the gospel writer uses what I would call stronger language, almost offensive. And the father says in verse 17, uh, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. In other words, the father called his son crazy. He said, my son is crazy. Uh, additionally, his father describes the situation as something he has had since his son was a child. And while we don't know how long, how old, how long that is or how old the boy is, what we do know is that the episode finds his son falling in fire and falling in the water. 
And for some of us, I know that that could be our testimony, and quietly I'm sure that this boy's testimony is actually our testimony in that we keep falling into stuff and into things and falling in and out of the same mess. Uh, what do you mean, preacher? I'm glad you asked. We keep finding ourselves being tripped up by the same mess and keep finding ourselves answering the same phone calls from that same man or same woman who keeps dragging us down. We keep finding ourselves gossiping with the same folk about the same people, getting involved in the same activities, even though we know we shouldn't. And if I were to take it one step further, I would say that the reason this mess keeps happening to you or someone you know over and 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 over again is because down here in the valley, we have what I would like to call some functionally crazy people. We've got some lunatics running around in the valley. And the definition of being crazy or insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Yeah, I said it. Some of us are crazy. Some of our loved ones are crazy. If I could use Matthew's words, just look at your neighbor and say, I might be a lunatic. Yeah, I know you don't want to say it really, but just really, if you confess with your mouth, it helps you. I might be a lunatic. I might be crazy. Watch this. It's not where we can't speak. For some of us, we speak too much. It's not that we don't know enough. For some of us, what we do know, we know so much that we can't help ourselves or anybody else. You see, some of us keep falling into the same mess, the same activities, the same depression, the same dysfunction, the same types of relationships, the same phone calls, the same text messages, the same things over and 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 over again. And then we wonder why we're not seeing the abundance of the blessings of God falling down in our lives, we're wondering why, even though I'm trying to live right and holy, I'm still doing some mess, and why the window of heaven has not been opened up for me. I'm doing the same mess, the same things. And the scary thing for some of us is that because we have done this thing for so long, because we've done it the wrong way for so long, we've become so involved in bad stuff for so long, it now seems normal to us. It seems normal to us. And so the dysfunctional relationship seems normal. The abusive relationship seems normal. The backbiting and gossiping among saints, so I know that doesn't happen here. The gossiping and backbiting among saints seems normal. The judgment seems normal. Uh, the, the exclusive nature of which we hold up our nose and think we're better than other people seems normal. You've gotten so used to being involved in and falling for the wrong thing, that when the right thing look, comes along, it looks abnormal to you. You might not be a lunatic in the clinical definition of the word, but you and I both know that we have all exhibited some lunatic behavior in our past. How do I know? Because some of us keep falling in and out of the same sin, self-inflicted nonsense. Yeah, brother, the first woman should have taught you a lesson. 
The first man should have taught you a lesson. The first time you were fired should have taught you a lesson. The first detention should have taught you a lesson. The first time your gossiping ways got you in trouble should have taught you a lesson. The first time you didn't die from the car accident should have taught you a lesson. The first time your husband or your wife forgave your side behind should have taught you a lesson. The first time God chose not to expose you should have taught you a lesson. But here you are, just like that crazy boy, falling back into the lunatic cycle of life. You've moved jobs, but nothing's changed. You've moved neighborhoods, but nothing's changed. You've moved to another relationship, but nothing's changed. You've changed your circle of friends, and nothing's changed. Could it be? That you're still doing the same old, same old, expecting different results. Still got the same spending habits, wondering why you can't save no money. Still got the same kinds of friends, wondering why you can't become a better person. Still got the same, still working at the same dead-end job, wondering why you can't advance in life. Still dating the same kind of men, wondering why you still don't have a ring on it. Still dating the same kind of women, wondering why you can't find your helpmate. Still got the same weak, inconsistent prayer and study life. Wonder why you can't move mountains or why you still can't discern the will of God for your life. It's because you and I are crazy. This is why when Jesus heals the boy, he doesn't 
Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.